This is the Journal of American History podcast for June 2011. I'm pleased to welcome today Professor Beverly Gage, who is Associate Professor of 20th Century U.S. History at Yale University. She teaches courses on terrorism, communism and anti-communism, American conservatism, and 20th century American politics. Her first book, The Day Wall Street Exploded, A Story of America in Its First Age of Terror, examined the history of terrorism in the late 19th and early 20th century, focusing on the 1920 Wall Street bombing. Her next book, G-Man, J. Edgar Hoover and the American Century, will be a biography of former FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover. Professor Gage has written a state-of-the-field essay for the Journal of American History entitled Terrorism and the American Experience, and we want to talk with her today uh, about that state-of-the-field essay uh, and about her new book. Professor Gage, Beverly, welcome to the JAH podcast. Thanks, Ed. So let me start by asking you to think out from something that you wrote in your state of the field. You wrote, already almost a decade out from 9-11, most U.S. historians remain hard-pressed to explain what terrorism is, how and when it began, or what its impact has been. Talk a little about uh, what you see as the challenge for American historians in understanding, defining, thinking about, writing about terrorism. Well, I think we're at a little bit of a moment of disjuncture and have been over the past decade, really since 9-11, now that we're approaching uh, the 10th anniversary. And it's a circumstance in which, obviously, terrorism has played this incredibly dramatic role in American politics. It's something people talk about. It's something they refer to in an almost offhand way. And yet, as a definitional term, much less as a historical concept, it's actually very, very hard to pin down. So it's something that people use a lot, historians included, this term. But we're just really beginning to have a kind of broader understanding of what this term means, where it's come from. And I do think one of the things that sort of inspired me to, uh, through my own research, but also in thinking about this state of the field essay, was the idea that I think historians need to really engage these issues that are at the center of American politics at the moment. And around the question of terrorism, as I tried to describe in the essay, I think historians have been a little hesitant. Um, in part because the term itself is so fraught with meaning. It has so many different definitions. It is a political epithet, um, and it's a confusing term to use in a lot of ways. So in part, um, my essay is an exploration of the ways that historians, in fact, have been thinking about this term, um, but it's also a little bit of a, of a call to arms to, uh, to try to push all of us to go even further with it. Did your own definition of terrorism change as you worked on your book on the Wall Street bombing? And if so, how so? Well, it's funny. When I started working on that book, which was my dissertation in graduate school and then uh, finally came out in book form in in 2009, um, I actually did not understand that I was going to be writing anything about terrorism at all when I first began the project. The Wall Street bombing, which was this event that happened on September 16, 1920, was one of the most dramatic bombings of its age, really the worst act of terrorism at that point in American history. Uh, 
killed almost 40 people on Wall Street and became the source of great debate over Wall Street's place in American history, over political radicalism, as well as over violence. Um, but when I first got started in uh, researching the project, which was actually before 9-11, and I was living in New York going to Columbia at the time, uh, my main interests were actually about what that kind of violence said about Wall Street itself, about capitalism in American history, and about where the roots of this kind of resistance to capitalism, or at least as it appeared to be, um, might have come from. And the idea that the violence itself was something that was part of a political tradition and something to be explored on its own terms really only began to come a little bit later. Um, and I think in that sense, for me, it's a good example of uh, the ways in which contemporary problems and contemporary questions can actually also lead to uh, new historical questions. Um, it really was in part, at least, 9-11 that led me to think in terms of terrorism and to think in terms of looking at uh, the dynamics and history of this particular kind of violence. And uh, I think we all want to avoid sort of taking present-day concepts and imposing them on the past. But in this case, I really do think that as the world was changing around me, um, it forced me to ask new questions and to really see new things about the past um, that just hadn't been present in my mind and hadn't been visible to me before. So I actually came to the subject of terrorism <laughs> a little bit late in the whole process. And as I began to get into it and began to think about uh, that particular bombing as an act of violence in which the violence itself might need to be further explored, I discovered that there was actually a much more substantive history, a much uh, longer tradition of that kind of violence, and that in 1920, when that bomb went off on Wall Street, one of the things that many people said was, oh, of course, not this again. And that, for me, became one of the, the real themes of my research, was how to explain uh, the not this again, what were they talking about, why was this so familiar to people, and how did they understand that kind of violence? Thank you. Was the term terrorism itself uh, popularly used in, for example, mid-late 19th century uh, America to define or characterize certain kinds of violence, or is it a more contemporary term? Well, in many ways, so the term itself has been around quite a long time, both in the United States um, and in other parts of the world. Uh, most terrorism histories look back roughly to the French Revolution and the dynamics of violence there is kind of the source of this term as an identifiable form of political violence. Other people uh, have, have slightly different uh, points of origin. But roughly in the kind of late 18th, early 19th century, we begin to see this language. Um, but in the United States throughout the 19th century, it is used to describe all sorts of things. Slavery is terrorism. The uh, the Union Army is terrorism. Uh, strikes and boycotts on the part of labor, those are terrorism. You know, crime is terrorism. And so you have this very broad definition that I think in many ways has gotten narrower and narrower and narrower until we've reached um, a point at which I think it has a very sort of specific set of associations for many people um, about a particular region of the world, a particular set of acts. And so my own research, which is in the late 19th and early 20th century, is sort of a moment of transition where you're going from um, a very, very broad sort of catch-all term uh, down to a slightly more narrow sense of the term, uh, very often at that point associated with a tradition of revolutionary violence coming from the left. 
and, and a political violence uh, versus, say, religious violence, correct? Right, absolutely. And political violence, I mean, I think the, the sort of standard way, and this is something that I try to describe a little bit um, in the essay, you know, the standard way that social scientists who have in many ways been much more engaged in the terrorism question for certainly the last 40 years, but social scientists, policymakers, et cetera, the way they've tended to think about terrorism and define terrorism, at least since the 1970s, is as a form of explicitly political violence, which is to say, you can define politics very broadly uh, in this way, but a form of violence that is attempting to achieve something politically, ideologically beyond the simple act itself. You know, even if you're talking about an assassination, you're not just trying to kill that person, but trying to uh, deliver some sort of larger message. So it is violent, it is political, um, it is a form of communication, a famous phrase from a, a terrorism scholar, that terrorism is theater. Um, but so that it's this form of communicative violence. Um, and I think one of the most controversial parts is that terrorism, uh, for many uh, scholars in terrorism studies, has almost always been defined uh, as something emanating from below. So a form of non-state violence uh, that comes from below, from revolutionary groups, and what we uh, sort of hear in the, in the phrase, the weapon of the weak against the strong. Now, that's very controversial. Um, there are lots of arguments about whether states can commit acts of terrorism. If so, what does that look like? How do we classify that? And again, I try to write a little bit about uh, those debates in the essay for the JAH. Yes, thank you. Thank you. And thinking about this uh, challenge of uh, understanding the, the change in this term over time, you write in the essay, uh, well, there's a series of questions, and I, I'd like you to to think with, with listeners uh, about these questions. Is terrorism a word to be traced through centuries of semantic permutation? Is it an epithet to be applied to forms of violence we don't like? Is it a concept to be defined however loosely and followed through time? Can you talk a little bit about those questions and where you are in your responses to them? Sure. Yeah, I actually, I developed here at Yale a lecture course on the history of terrorism in the United States, in particular, it reaches a little bit into other parts of the world, but it's really a U.S. history course. Um, and the impetus for developing that was that uh, I thought it would be a great experiment in, um, in sort of constructing this history. Um, I just heard as a way to do a first big lecture class in your first big job. Um, it was rather daunting not <laughs> a very established literature. But one of the things that I do in the in one of the first lectures in that class is lay out these three sets of questions for my students and sort of walk through what the implications would be and what kind of history you would tell, uh, depending on which of these you might choose. So the first one is this question of semantics, right? And this is a question that you and I have already talked about in this interview. So is, terror is the history of terrorism the history of how people have thought about this word, how they've thought about this term, the ways in which they applied it? So that's one way to begin to think about you know, how to construct a history of terrorism. 
Uh, the second one, and this is quite common in our own politics, you know, is terrorism at its core not a meaningful term, but just an epithet that people have applied to kinds of violence that they don't like? And if so, what kind of history uh, might you construct there? A history of good violence and bad violence, legitimate violence, illegitimate violence, and, and how might we begin to tell that history? And then the third, and this is a little bit what I was suggesting um, in terms of how social scientists have tended to think about terrorism, is to really try to come up with a definition and then take that definition and look historically for events that meet that definition, whether or not they were described as terrorism at the time. And in my class, I actually uh, use the example of John Brown, uh, the famous abolitionist, mid-19th century abolitionist, as uh, sort of a test case in how you might think about applying these three concepts and where you might end up with it. Um, on the semantic question, uh, was John Brown a terrorist? If you uh, take it simply a term, it's kind of a yes and no. For the most part, that was not the primary language applied to him. But as I said earlier, those terms were around and they were occasionally applied to John Brown. So you know, by that standard, was he a terrorist? Well, maybe, maybe not. By the standard of you know, political epithet, well, that's really a set of subjective judgments about what you think about what John Brown did. Right? If you like John Brown, uh, and you see this play out actually in the scholarship on John Brown. If you like him, you might not want to put this label on him. Um, if you don't like him and don't think that the uh, violence he used was justified, well, then maybe you do want to use that term. So I think this is, of all of the choices, the, the least productive, but certainly a way in which uh, people debate and use the term terrorism or terrorist. And, and, um, I and then the the, Go ahead. Sorry. Just, just interrupt on uh, on the semantic term. Is this where uh, that simplistic but still somewhat interesting uh, uh, saying one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter? Uh, this is this is part of of that labeling, isn't it? That makes a difference. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that phrase, which you still hear, uh, but was very common uh, in the 70s and the 80s as people looked at um, anti-colonial movements, rebellions around the world against colonial occupying powers. And some people said these are illegitimate terrorist movements and others said no, these are people uh, fighting for, for freedom. Um, and so you still see that kind of dynamic. And we're talking about it here maybe in the 19th century. So I think in the end, I... Um, and certainly the way that I constructed my class was ending up sort of wanting to come up with some not incredibly restrictive but coherent definition for terrorism um, and then to talk about this form of violence throughout the past. But I think it's not a perfect solution because in some cases you may be applying an anachronistic term. Um, in other cases, it, it raises more questions than it answers. Um, but uh, that's sort of the place that I end up for the most part in teaching about the class and thinking about one of the more productive ways that historians might might think about constructing this history as well. How would, uh, if, if your students in the class would, would speak with one voice, I know they, they wouldn't, but if they would, what do you think they would say for them was the most surprising and, and most challenging way to engage some of the materials that you presented? Well, it's funny, actually, for the, uh, for the last lecture in that class, um, I do have them write 
research essays of their own about sort of what they thought about this concept when they came into the class and sort of where they've ended up um, at the end of the year. And they um, and then I tried to build my own final lecture out of those out of those conclusions and debates. Um, I think that. One of the main things that surprises students, well, a few things, um, a few places that they end up, but one of the first is that, is the idea that terrorism is a tactic that has a logic to it. It is part of a history of sometimes coherent and sometimes not terribly coherent, but nonetheless, the product of a history of, of conversations among people who have thought about this particular tactic, why one might use it, why one might not use it, um, but that I think we tend to think of it as something being totally irrational and evil. Um, and sometimes it is, but quite often it is also, um, as I said, a, a tactic that someone has thought through and has decided to use for particular reasons. Um, so I think students are often surprised to engage that degree, um, and whether we're talking about the 19th century or the 20th century or the 21st, I think they're often surprised in that context to think about whether or not then terrorism works or has worked and under what historical circumstances it might be said to have worked um, or not to have worked. Um, and so I guess the last piece and the last thing that I, that I find very commonly from students is that thinking about terrorism allows them a window into thinking a little bit differently about U.S. history, um, stepping away from the narrative that this is something brand new, that up until that point, uh, the United States hadn't, you know, up until 9-11 for most of them, the United States hadn't known a great deal of this kind of violence and beginning to see that, in fact, you've seen these manifestations about, uh, of violence throughout American history um, leads them to ask a little bit more about the kinds of conflicts that produce that sort of violence and then um, whether the United States has had a, a history of cohesion or a fracture and, and where we put those pieces together. Do you see in your students uh, a, a resistance to thinking about Americans as terrorists, either here at home or elsewhere in the world, or in the arguments of some purveyors at certain times of state-sponsored uh, terrorism, due to the what, to my mind, is still a very, very strong uh, narrative of American innocence? Um, you know, I think the students are generally ready to to go with those questions, or at least at least to the degree that they they talk to me about it. So I wouldn't say that they um, that there is any great resistance to doing this, but I would say that um, overwhelmingly um, the history that they seem to have learned in high school and coming into the university is a history which emphasizes that kind of narrative of uh, of American innocence. You know, a, a narrative in which 9-11 was the first time that the United States had ever seen this kind of terrorism, uh, maybe reaching back into the 1990s. Uh, so I don't encounter a lot of resistance, but what I do encounter actually is is just um, a, a lack of knowledge. I mean, the number one thing that most students say when they come into that class is, well... Now I want to be here, and what they're secretly thinking is because I have to fill a distributional requirement, history major. But what they say um, is that they in the class because it's called the history of terrorism, and they didn't know that terrorism had a history, and so that's really the place that that course uh, begins to fill in the pieces. 
talk with our listeners uh, and help them understand how to look at this subject historically. What are what are some of the the major signposts along the way, and how do you think our understanding of terrorism really has changed over time? Well, it's interesting. The thing people often want if I go out give public lectures uh, about my book, uh, about this subject more generally, inevitably at the end of the talk, and quite reasonably, uh, there's going to be an audience member who stands up and asks, okay, so you've shown us that there was all of this terrorism, uh, that it's not something that's brand new, and that we've seen it in all the context of the American past, and so what? Uh, what does that actually tell us about what we're supposed to be doing today? What does it contribute to the contemporary debate, either in a policy sense or in some sort of conceptual sense? And I certainly think have a subject like this, which is so much uh, a part of contemporary debate. Those kinds of questions really are unavoidable. And so I've tried to think a little bit about that. And I think there are a few areas in which thinking historically about terrorism really does help reshape a little bit of how we want to think about the present. Um, I think the first is simply acknowledging that there is history to terrorism, and that's something that historians are often saying about uh, a variety of subjects, but in this case, precisely because so much of the contemporary debate has been framed around the idea that 9-11 was totally new. And there were many things about 9-11 that were new in terms of the scope of it, um, particularly in terms of the scope of our reaction to it, and yet acknowledging that there actually is a broader context, that there's this larger history and in turn leads to questions about the kinds of policies that we're taking on the assumption that this is something totally new. So I think in that very broad sense, it brings something important to contemporary debate. I also think in terms of civil liberties questions, which have been so much the subject of discussion in the past decade, this is particularly interesting. Um, in the essay for the JAH, I looked at the late 19th century and contrasted responses to violence and terrorism in two different areas. Uh, one was the kind of anarchist and labor violence that I wrote about in my first book. Uh, and in particular, in 1919 and 1920, uh, that kind of violence occasioned a really ferocious response from the American federal government, uh, most notably the Palmer Raids of 1919 and 1920, a series of deportation raids against political radicals, but uh, at the state level and local level as well, speech codes, uh, crackdown on radical and dissident organizations. Um, on the other hand, this is also a period in uh, lynching and racial violence is expanding, is quite dramatic, is in the headlines very frequently. And that kind of violence occasions almost no response uh, from, uh, certainly from the federal government, which uh, for years does not pass uh, an anti-lynching law, despite a certain amount of activism pushing for it. Um, but at many other levels, you certainly don't see kind of immediate uh, reaction you see in response another kind of violence. So the point of this is just, again, to begin to question uh, the idea that you know, active violence necessitates a certain set of responses, and instead to look at some of the kind of political and cultural assumptions that go into beginning to think about those questions. 
So I'd say that's a second area around these questions of civil liberties um, and state responses that we really can begin to think uh, broadly about this. And I think, uh, again, the final area, there are all sorts of more specific things one could talk about, such as do undercover informants work in these sorts of cases um, that are much limited, much more targeted? Do deportation raids work in these sorts of cases? Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I think there are real questions of policy that one can engage in a more detailed way. But overwhelmingly, I would say the third piece and the third area that study of terrorism historically can feed into the present is the fact that when you look at the big picture historically, terrorism as a form of violence tends to wax and wane in accord with larger political movements. So in the 19th century, you have a great deal of violence uh, on all sides around the question of uh, slavery into the late 19th century around race and Jim Crow and enforcing that system. And that kind of violence goes on uh, up through the 1960s and 70s until some of the fundamental political and social questions around that set of controversies is really resolved. Uh, same thing when you begin to talk about labor violence or about anarchist violence. It's not actually law enforcement. It's not actually, quote unquote, counterterrorism that ultimately brings these uh, so-called waves of violence to an end. But it tends to be a larger set of political and social engagements. And uh, thinking about this violence as a symptom of these bigger political conflicts and understanding that there are going to be limits countering violence without some sort of resolution of those bigger political questions. I think that's probably the most important lesson that we can draw from broadening our lens and thinking about this as a historical issue. Thank you. That's very, very helpful. Let's conclude by uh, talking a little, if you would, about your next book, G-Man, J. Edgar Hoover, and the American Century, a biography of former FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover. Tell us about the book. So this book came out of my last book, in some sense, which was the Wall Street bombing book. But when I was doing that research, I ran across this young man who was uh, in his 20s and already was heavily engaged in building a state response to uh, radical threats at that point. So in my first book, I write a tiny little bit about Hoover um, as an investigator on the Wall Street bombing, as um, a young man who's really at the heart of these questions from the moment that he comes into government. And as I began to do research about Hoover, I realized there wasn't any really great contemporary biography of him out there. A lot of what's been written about Hoover came out of came out of a sort of debunking impulse in the 70s and 80s after his death. And very much of what we know about J. Edgar Hoover kind of comes out of the expose, kind of telling us more and more and more about uh, the terrible things that he did. And as I began to think about his political figure, I thought that the moment had come actually to uh, revisit Hoover in his own time, in his own context, and think about him as uh, perhaps still a villain of sorts, but as a very serious and very influential political figure, um, and also to begin to incorporate uh, a lot of the new archival material that's come out since then. So I would say, in short, the idea behind the new Hoover biography is to uh, take J. Edgar Hoover really from the margins of history, um, which is to say, 
he's a household name, but he is, for the most part, sort of a one-dimensional figure, the butt of jokes. People either refer to him as a great villain or as the guy who wore a dress. <laughs> and uh, to take him from being this butt of jokes and put him back into the center of the American uh, state in the 20th century and into the debate uh, between liberals, radicals, and conservatives in the United States during that period as well. Um, one of my political goals in the book is to resituate J. Edgar Hoover in the context of a whole historiography that's been developing around American conservatism. Um, and that historiography has tended to look at grassroots social movements um, and to look at the self-proclaimed conservative movement as it developed in the United States, really in the post-war period. Um, and I want to look at Hoover as a man who was certainly a conservative, but was also someone who held a lot of state power in the United States during the period that we still describe as the heyday of American liberalism. So to begin to look at what conservatives do when they actually hold power um, and to sort of take on Hoover as, as a case study in that. Um, so it's a lot of paper to get through. There's lots of great new material that's come out in the last 20 years, um, much of it that's been um, untouched up to that point. And he's just a great subject because he was in office as director of the FBI from 1924 to 1972. <laughs> 48 years in the job. He had his fingers in every great event of political importance in the United States during those years. And so he is my story of the American state in the 20th century. That's wonderful. And many of us are looking forward to that book very, very much. Uh, Beverly, thank you so much for taking the time to do this podcast. Uh, we are, have been talking with Professor Beverly Gage, uh, Associate Professor of History at Yale University. Uh, Professor Gage has written a State of the Field that will appear in June 2011 in the Journal of American History, Terrorism and the American Experience. She has also done a special component, an online component of the JH teaching at the JH that focuses on terrorism. So Beverly, thank you for all of your work for us. Thanks a lot, Ed. The Organization of American Historians holds several events each year for researchers and educators in American history. To learn more about the OAH Annual Meeting, the OAH Community College Workshop, and other ways to connect with researchers and educators, visit the OAH website at www.oah.org meetings. This podcast is produced by the Journal of American History, the leading scholarly publication and the Journal of Record in American History. Visit us on the web at www.journalofamericanhistory.org. Please support the journal by becoming a member of the Organization of American Historians. Subscribe online at www.oah.org, and you will receive a printed copy of the journal four times a year. Thank you for listening to the Journal of American History podcast. Please join us in September for another program. If you have questions or comments, please email us at jahcast at oah.org.